Hey everyone, welcome to the Southside Church Podcast from Chilliwack, British Columbia, Canada. We're praying that hope would rise in your life as you listen to this message today. I'm just making sure this is a safe space for me. Someone in the first service wore a Maple Leafs hat. (laughs) Evidently, they didn't get coffee on their way in because on the coffee cup is stamped a phrase that says what? Be kind, be kind. Hey, throughout this journey through the New Testament gospel of John, we've been reminded that God inspired John to write this gospel, the fourth of four New Testament gospels, so that we would know what Jesus said and what Jesus did. But deeper than that, that we would get to know who Jesus is, and even deeper still, that we would actually know him for ourselves. George Franco said it last week, because when we get to know Jesus, we experience him, and when we experience Jesus radically changes our story. And so out of all the miracles that Jesus performed, out of all the extraordinary things that Jesus did, God inspired John to record seven key signs. Seven signs found in the Gospel of John. The first one was when Jesus turned the water into wine. He healed a royal official's son. He walked up to a man who had been crippled for 38 years near this pool called Bethesda, and he said to the man, stand up, grab your mat, and walk, and he did. Jesus fed 20,000 people with five loaves and two fish. Jesus walked on the water, and last week we saw the sixth of the seven signs when Jesus healed a man who had been blind since birth. Well, today we are entering into John chapter 10, but I'll kind of give you a preview. In John chapter 11, we're going to see the seventh of the seven signs, and it's probably the most spectacular. It's a story of one of Jesus' best friends, this guy named Lazarus. And the timing is perfect, by the way, because this story of Lazarus is gonna serve as the centerpiece of our Easter celebration this year. I can't think of a better story to enter us into the story of Easter than the prequel of Easter, which is the story of Lazarus. So I wanna repeat what Spencer said again. We got some high goals for this year. Our goal for in-person attendance for Easter experiences is 2,500 people. That will only happen if you bring someone. It really will. And so what I'm asking you is whether you are watching online or whether you're here in person, would you consider bringing someone this year? Maybe you have three people that that, that you feel like God wants you to bring, and one wants to come Saturday at 4, and one wants to come Sunday at 9, and one wants to come Sunday at 11. Bring them all. This is an awesome opportunity for us. And when it comes to online goals, at a time when people, even who online church is their thing, sometimes venture into in-person gatherings, our goal for online is still 2,000 people. That'll only happen if you share. That'll only happen if you invite. That will only happen if you invite some people over to your place to watch the service with you. So that's 4,500 people, and I know when I mention numbers like that, I'll have people ask me once in a while, they'll say, Mike, is Southside all about the numbers? That's a great question, don't you think? Is Southside all about the numbers? Is that what you guys are all about? And the answer, of course, is absolutely yes. 100% yes. 100%. Because somewhere along the line, we figured it out. Every number has a name, every name has a story, and every single story matters to God and should, and should really, really matter to me and to you. Not only does John have seven signs in his gospel, he records seven I am statements that Jesus made. 
It's almost like Jesus stepping out of the pages of history and saying, good to meet you. We've seen two of them so far in our study. The first one was when Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. And then Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Well, in this section that we're studying today out of John chapter 10, we're going to see Jesus make two more I am statements. John chapter 10, starting at verse 1, Jesus said, Let me set this before you as plainly as I can. If a person climbs over or through the fence of a sheep pen, instead of going through the gate, you know he's up to no good, a sheep rustler. The shepherd walks right up to the gate. The gatekeeper opens the gate to him, and the sheep recognize his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he gets them all out, he leads them, and they follow because they are familiar with his voice. They won't follow a stranger's voice, but will scatter because they aren't used to the sound of it. Jesus told this simple story, but they had no idea what he was talking about. So he tried again. It reminds me of my days of teaching school. Anyways, I'll be explicit then. I am... I am the gate for the sheep. All those others are up to no good. Sheep rustlers, every one of them, but the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the gate. Anyone who goes through me will be cared for, will freely go in and out and find pasture. A thief is only there to steal and kill and destroy. I came so they can have real and eternal life, more and better life than they ever dreamed of. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd puts the sheep before himself, sacrifices himself if necessary. A hired man is not a real shepherd. The sheep mean nothing to him. He sees a wolf come and runs for it, leaving the sheep to be ravaged and scattered by the wolf. He's only in it for the money. The sheep don't matter to him. I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and my own sheep know me. In the same way, the Father knows me, and I know the Father. I put the sheep before myself, sacrificing myself if necessary. You need to know that I have other sheep in addition to those in this pen. I need to gather and bring them too. They'll also recognize my voice. Then it will be one flock, one shepherd. This is why the Father loves me, because I freely lay down my life. And so I am free to take it up again. No one takes it from me. I lay it down on my own Free will. I have the right to lay it down. I also have the right to take it up again. I receive this authority personally from my father. This kind of talk caused another split in the Jewish ranks. A lot of them were saying, he's crazy, a maniac, out of his head completely. Why bother listening to him? But others weren't so sure. These aren't the words of a crazy man. Can a maniac open blind eyes? So growing up on an acreage about 20 minutes outside of Red Deer, Alberta, we had a German shepherd named Trapper. Best dog in the world. Well, thank you. Yeah, it's awesome. As a kid, I would have lots of daydreams. I had an active imagination. One of the daydreams I had as a Cold War kid was I would think to myself, what if the Soviet Union invades Canada and life as we know it completely changes? Like, what if we all go back to living in the wild? And I would look around at people, and I would ask myself, could they make it? (laughs) Would they make it? And I had lots of opinions about lots of different people, uh, but I knew Trapper would make it. He was smart and tough and self-reliant. Well, these days, my wife Corinne and I have a dog. It's not a German Shepherd. It's a miniature Aussie Doodle. Her name is Rue. And she is not (laughs) self-reliant. 
she struggles greatly with anxiety. A few years ago, Corinne and I went away for a week. One of our kids looked after Rue, and she missed Corinne so bad that she refused to eat and she refused to drink. So when we got home, we had to take her straight to the vet. She received intravenous overnight. I put the over-under on Rue making in the wild at about three and a half minutes. <laughs> I bring all that up because I thought you might be interested to know the animal that is mentioned the most, most times in the Bible. Yeah, that animal is the sheep. You know, sheep are mentioned 400 times in the Bible, and almost every, listen to this, almost every single time they're mentioned, they represent who? You and me which is kind of depressing, you know? It's kind of like Rue out in the wild level depressing. I, I can't honestly think of an animal less likely to make it than a sheep. Out of all the animals in the world that Jesus could have chosen to represent you, he chose a sheep. Sheep are not smart. They are not tough. They are not self-reliant. I know some of you are looking at me and you're like, well, I'm smart, Mike. I get it, I get it. You are pretty smart for a sheep. <laughs> right? There, there, they, there's a lot of things you know. But there's some things you don't know. I can think of a couple off the top of my head. The day of your death. What comes next? Like, for example, I'm about to throw a Wonder Bar, the best chocolate bar in the world, to a place where no one catches it, but I hit someone in the head almost. So that, <laughs> you didn't see that coming, did you? You did not see that coming. You say, well, Mike, I am tough. Yeah, okay. I get it. You're tough for a sheep. You know, I get it. You're a tough guy. You're a tough girl. I wouldn't want to mess with you. But how tough are you actually? Are you tougher than time? Are you tougher than floods and earthquakes and fires? Are you tougher than disease? You say, well, Mike, I'm really self-reliant, you know? I get it. I do. I do. You are really self-reliant. You are for a sheep. You know what experts say? Experts say that isolation is as destructive or more destructive than smoking. That loneliness is more dangerous than bullfighting. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. Try, trying to think of a way to put it. Okay, I'll give you another picture. Another picture that maybe will help you remember. Hey, Rue. Hey, Rue. We need each other. You adorable little lamb. We can't make it on our own. Is that a bad joke? I'm sorry. <laughs> my run-through team that works with me in my sermons asked me, begged me, implored me not to use that joke. But I knew you really wanted to hear it. Okay, so, so here's the thing. Out of all the animals in the world that Jesus could have used to describe you and describe me, he chose a sheep. It's pretty depressing on its surface, which caught my attention. And, and so what I want to do is I wanted to dig a little deeper into this passage. In fact, what I want to do is I want to spend the next two weeks and I want to talk about five things that you and me and sheep have in common. And I think once I do, once we walk through this, we're not going to leave depressed. In fact, I think we're going to be inspired, encouraged, and even challenged. So today I'm going to talk about two things that you and me and sheep have in common, and next week I'm going to talk about three more. So number one, just like sheep, 
We need a flock. We need a flock. Sheep are amazing, you know. They can't function on their own. They can't. Like a sheep by itself cannot function. Won't eat. Won't relax. Can't graze. Nothing. It seems like the magic number for sheep is right around five. If, if, there, if there's five of them, sheep can just relax, eat, calm down, and function. You and me are like sheep. We need a flock. Every once in a while, I'll have somebody come to me and say, hey, Mike, do you need to go to church to be a Christian? Do you need to go to church to be a Christian? And the answer to that, of course, is no. Of course not. You do not need to go to church to be a Christian. Let me explain it to you this way. I believe there's overarchingly two reasons why Jesus stepped into human history, okay? Two reasons. Number one is to save us. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Eternal life, right? Whoever believes in the Lord Jesus will be saved. Eternal life. No strings attached. You don't need to go to church to be saved. You don't need to obey rules to be saved. You don't need to do good deeds. You don't need to dot I's and cross T's. Absolutely not. You don't achieve salvation, you receive it, okay? So Jesus came to save us, to give us eternal life, right? And he also came to lead us. Came to save us, give us eternal life, but he also came to lead us. And here's why. Because there's a gap, right? There's a gap between that moment when you know Jesus and that moment when you step into eternity. What's it called again? It's called your life. And, and Jesus says, I came to save you, to give you eternal life, but I also came, I, I think in the past he says this, a more and better life than you could ever dream. Now to step into that, right? To, 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 to have eternal life, you don't need to go to church. I think to have a real and better life than you could ever dream of, you gotta follow Jesus. And Jesus sets a relational example. Like Jesus could have shown up in human history, but he didn't. He came as a baby born into a family. He grew up in a family and relationships in a family. And when Jesus' ministry year started, he traveled around with a group. A group of students and best friends went with him everywhere that he went. I was reading in Matthew, or Luke chapter 4 the other day. It says this, Jesus came to Nazareth where he had been raised. As he always did on the Sabbath, he went to the meeting place. So Jesus set an example. Do you, do you, do you need to go to church to have eternal life? Mm-mm. No need to go to church to be saved. But I think, I think if we're going to follow Jesus' example into that uh, more and better life than we could ever dream of, I think church is part of it. Now, some people look at me and go, I'm not going to church. I can't go to church. It's too full of hypocrites. Church is too full of hypocrites. And when people say that to me, I always have the same answer. I can't go to church. It's too full of hypocrites. I say, well, it's not that full. It's not that full of hypocrites. We always have room for one more hypocrite. Come on in. <laughs> Come on in. Come on. Be, because what's a hypocrite? Someone whose actions don't always align with their intentions. You know who that is? That's you. And that's me. Someone whose best of intentions doesn't always translate into the life that they live. That's me. And that's you. There's no perfect representation of the character 
nature, love, mercy, grace, and power of God in this church right now. There's no person, including especially maybe the person on this stage. Only one person in all of history pulled that off, and that's Jesus. You get what I'm saying? I'm saying because we're a bunch of imperfect wingnuts, that elevates the importance that we would come together and we would place our focus on him. On him who did completely represent the character, nature, power, mercy, grace of God. See, you know something about you and me? We were created in the image of God. So as we focus on Jesus, as we sing to Jesus, as we pray, as we listen, as we study, we become a little bit more like him. And because we were created in his image, what does it mean? That if I want to be the meest version of me, if you want to be the youest version of you, if we want to become the truest representation of the people we were created to be, the life that we were born to live, part of it happens here. Some people say to me, man, I, I can't go to church because everybody there is so different from me. I get it. I do. But you know what? I, I think that's the point. I think that's actually kind of the point. Like, we live in a really polarized world. Have you noticed? Like, a lot of enmity, a lot of tribalism, a lot of picking sides. A lot of us versus them. A lot of, you're either for us or you're against us. And in that sense, the church of Jesus stands as a radically counter-cultural movement. Jesus said in this passage, he's talking to a bunch of Jews, and what does he say? Hey, heads up. Got a lot of sheep and a lot of pastors. And we're all going to gather together, one flock, one shepherd. That's the point. So when we gather as a church, it's radically countercultural. Every generation, every skin color, every language, every worldview, every background, and yeah, and yeah, listen to this, every political persuasion too, coming together, coming together and remembering this that we might have all kinds of things pulling us apart, but when we fix our eyes on Jesus, we remember that which draws us together is infinitely greater and stronger than anything that could ever pull us apart. I think the fact we're different is the point. It's funny about sheep, though. So they, when they get in a big flock, right, they always have five to seven. Listen to this. They got five to seven best buddies, even in a big flock. They're connected to all, maybe, do you like sheep a little bit more than I'm talking about these stories? Okay, okay so, but, but, but they're connected to all the sheep in the flock, but they got five to seven besties. Family and friends that they're closer to. I think you and I are the same. If you read through the New Testament of the Bible, there's all kinds of one another commandments, one another, that we're supposed to love one another, that we're supposed to pray for one another, encourage one another, build one another up, Challenge one another. Greet one another. When I was even younger than I am now, and I first started out as a... Thank you for not laughing. Um, when I first started out as a lead pastor, there was all these articles and all these talks that came out and said, man, like almost every single lead pastor ends up isolated and lonely. Like almost every, if not every, lead pastor ends up isolated and lonely. 
So I had all these friends coming to me saying, Mike, I'm really worried about you because you're a lead pastor and lead pastors always end up isolated and lonely. We're really worried about it. And it kind of annoyed me. So finally one day, like the seventh person came up and and said, um, a friend of mine, she said, Mike, I'm worried about you, you know, isolated and lonely. I said, look, I gotta tell you something. You're making a very huge logical error. I'm gonna explain it to you if you'd like because I would have liked to explain it to everybody else. It's called false causation. It's when you attribute an effect to the wrong cause. It's like saying this. Every time I wash my car, it rains. So when we really need rain, I'm just going to go wash my car. doesn't work. Wish it did. So I said, there's a logical error you're making here. It's called false causation. I'm going to explain it to you, okay? And then you'll understand. I said this. I said, a vast majority, if not every single person in the world who aspires to be a lead pastor is a nerdy loser, okay? I wish I wouldn't have said that, but I did, okay? So here I am. (laughs) Almost every single person in the world who aspires to be a lead pastor is a nerdy loser, okay? And then they go on with their lives, and we look and we go, whoa, wait a minute! Every lead pastor seems to be isolated and lonely. Well, yeah, you know why? Because they're all nerdy losers. And then what we think is false causation. We think, oh, it's something about being a lead pastor. No, it's actually something about being a nerdy loser. So a few years ago, I wake up one day. I wake up one day and I realize, man, you know what? I'm isolated and lonely. And God is so nice to me. He says, are you a nerdy loser, Mike? And before I could answer, he said, you're not. You know what you are? You're human. You're human. There's a flow in our culture away from connection towards isolation, there is, and it's destructive, and it's dangerous. And I think we just go with the flow in life, that's where we're gonna end up, in a place of loneliness, in a place of isolation. So I picked up the phone and I I called a couple of buddies, I called Mike Heppel and George Franco, you met George last week if you were here or watching online. And, and, And I didn't say these exact words, but what I really asked them was this, hey, can you be part of my one another? Can we pray for one another? Can we challenge one another? Can we encourage one another? Can you give me some advice? Because they're both elite, world-class leaders. And I said, if I start to drift, because I do, if I start to drift towards isolation, can you call me out? See, I guess what I want to say to you is that we all need a flock. It's great to be here but we also need a smaller group. It's one of the reasons at, so, at Southside why small groups are such a huge priority, so that we can experience that one another that the New Testament talks about. So I would ask you, if, if you're not currently in a small group, I would love it if you would take the initiative, make that next step, and text the keyword group to 604-670-3040. Now, some of you might be looking at me right now going, Mike, you have no idea how popular I am. I don't need this stuff. Like, I'm like, incredible. And I get it. I, no, I believe you. I do. I do. I do. But, but, remember two things. Remember two things. This, okay, two things. Remember two things. One, the kind of one another that the New Testament is talking about is someone who can pray for you, exhort you. In, in other words, someone who loves Jesus and loves you. That's important. And secondly, if you say to me, yeah, I have so many friends just like that. I'm just amazingly blessed. That is awesome. 
What I wonder is if you would consider, if you would consider to share that blessing. Because there's a lot of people in this church who were a little bit like me a few years ago. And they feel isolated and lonely. They're not nerdy losers. They're human. And if you would be willing to step into that community, you could be part of someone else's one another. So number one, we're just like sheep in that we need a flock. Number two, we're a lot like sheep in that we need a shepherd. Sheep aren't tough. Let's get real. I mean, sheep are just like at the mercy of the elements. They're at the mercy of predators. And that's why they have shepherds. The shepherds to go in and protect them. Well, we live in a pretty wild world. And in a lot of the ways that really, really matter, you and I are kind of defenseless too. You know, we talked about earlier all, 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 all the reasons you're tough. Yeah, but you're not necessarily tougher than time. There's a lot of things that we struggle with, and that's why Jesus stepped into human history to protect us from the existential and eternal predators that we will face. And I've been so convicted all week long because I just want to drive this point home. What does it mean that Jesus is the, the good shepherd? And it got me thinking that for a lot of us, we've experienced a good shepherd along the way, maybe a few. Like if you were really, really blessed, your parents were good shepherds. Like they really tried to protect you, they really tried to help you. But no matter how good your parents were, there was probably a certain age that you got to when you realized, man, they can't protect me from everything. But there's a lot of people watching online right now, there's a lot of people in person right now, that's not your story, unfortunately. Like your parents weren't good shepherds. They brought pain instead of protection. They brought hurt instead of help. That's why we've got millions of people walking around in our culture today with father wounds and mother wounds. In fact, I would suggest this. I would suggest the level of woundedness that we see around us in the world today is evidence that deep down inside of you, deep down inside of me, deep down inside of everyone, there's a longing for a good shepherd. It's one of the reasons why I think church is important. At church, hopefully, we can meet some good shepherds. A small group leader should be a shepherd. Youth leader should be a shepherd. A singer should be a shepherd. Ho hopefully, a, a preacher is a shepherd. Just thinking this week that about 250 feet to the north of me right now, some radically important things are happening. Some of the most important things that happen at Southside Church on a Sunday are happening not here, but 250 feet to the north. Southside kids. It's just so incredible. It's so incredible to me. There's 324 wing nuts. 324 kids at Southside Kids last week. This is like more than twice the size of the average North American church. It's just absolutely incredible. It takes just about 200 volunteers to make Southside Kids run. I got to think about that number. Like, how blessed are we, right? 200 people, just about 200 people willing to go, I'll help. And I think there's a temptation sometimes for you and me to go, man, are we ever lucky that 200 people just love kids? <laughs> well, we, I mean, 
We do seem to love kids at Southside, by the way. We're a very fertile bunch. If you go check the nursery out, you'll find it, but that's not the point of what I'm talking about right now. If you mean by they love kids, love as in love as a choice, I agree. But can we please dispel any notion that we might have? There's people over there right now going, you know what brings me life? You know what just brings me peace? Just a feeling of calm serenity. Just pack me in a classroom full of four-year-olds. It's just amazing. And in my spare time, I herd cats. It's just what I love to do. No, what, what I would suggest to you is this. I would suggest to you that every single kid's volunteer, when they're done, is going to be completely exhausted. But at the end of the day, they feel exhausted, but it's a good kind of exhaustion. You get what I mean? Just thinking about how profound that is. That over there right now, there's little boys and little girls who really, 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 really matter. And, and they're learning about the Good Shepherd. They're learning it from some Good Shepherds. They're learning about the Good Shepherd. He didn't lose his life. No, that's crazy, right? He didn't lose his life. He laid it down for them. And then he took it up again. What a story. And I was just thinking about those little boys and those little girls. And they're going to go through life and they're never going to forget that. They're going to go through twists and turns and ups and downs and they're going to have their setbacks and maybe they're even going to fall back from time to time. But they're never, ever going to forget that. So I should probably tell you this. We could always use another kids leader we could always use another good shepherd over in the kids' area, so if you would love to do, if you would choose to do that, you can text the keyword serve to 604-670-3040. It blows me away because I just keep thinking, and they're never, ever, ever gonna forget that. And I felt this weight walking into this week because I don't wanna forget that. And I don't want you to forget that. And so what I wanna close with today is I wanna close with a story and a song, a story and a song. So following World War II, the continent of Europe, as you could imagine, was just devastated. It was a dark and broken place. Poverty and disease, hunger, one of the most heartbreaking natures of post-World War II Europe was the crisis of orphans. Hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of thousands of little boys and little girls whose mom and dad, mom and dad had either died in the war or had gone missing, never to be heard from again. And so what the Allied nations did was they sent millions of dollars of aid over to Europe and they established a system of orphanages. The conditions in the orphanage wasn't pristine, but at least they offered these little kids shelter and food, clothing, and a chance at life that they otherwise wouldn't have had. And there's a story told that just a few weeks after the war ended, a man and his little daughter walked into one of those orphanages. They asked to speak to the director of the orphanage. When they got in the office, according to the notes of the orphanage director, they weren't just emaciated, they were skeletal. 
So this man and his daughter were literally nothing but skin and bones. And the father looked at the director of the orphanage and he said, would you take my daughter? Could you please take her? Would you give her shelter and clothing? Would you give her food and a chance at life? Because I can't give her these things right now. The director of the orphanage was sympathetic, but he couldn't do it. He said, sir, the demand is so great, the need is so overwhelming, the rules are very clear. We can't take in a child who has a mother or a father. The director of the orphanage stood up as if to say, this meeting is now ended. But that man and his little daughter, they didn't stand up. They sat there for a long, long time in silence until the father looked up and he said to the director of the orphanage, so what you're saying to me is, if I was to die, you would take my daughter and you would give her shelter and clothing and food and a chance at life. The director said, well, I suppose so, sir, but he was interrupted because the man stood up and he hugged his daughter for a long, long time. And he took her little hand and he placed it in the hand of the director of the orphanage. And as he did it, the director remembered the words that the father had spoken. If I was to die, you would take my daughter and you would give her shelter and you would give her clothing and you would give her food and a chance at life. And so he placed the hand of his daughter into the hand of the director of the orphanage and the father looked at him and said, I'll arrange it. And he walked out. See, I think we got to remember something, you guys. That one day, not so long ago, that God looked at this devastated, broken, dark world. And he looked at the people. He looked at you and he looked at me. And he said, they're so lost. They're so lost, they can't get home. He said, someone's going to have to go to them because they can't get to us. He said, someone's going to have to endure the worst that this world has to offer. Endure the brokenness so that they could be whole. Endure the darkness so they could experience light. Someone needs to become lost so they can be found. Somebody even needs to die so they could live. And Jesus, without pausing at all, looked into the eyes of his heavenly Father and said, I'll arrange it. Please know this. The Bible is very, very clear that if you were the only sheep that needed to be found, the good shepherd would have done it all for you. And that's what it means. When Jesus says, I didn't lose my life, I didn't lose it, I laid it down. And I took it up again, because I am the good shepherd. So I asked Leah to close us with a song today. I'm not quite close, I'm coming back up, okay? But I would ask you to just stay seated and reflect on what it means that Jesus is your good shepherd.
If my heart could tell a story If my life would sing a song If I have a testimony If I have anything His faithful hand has held me all this way And when I'm old and gray and all my days are numbered on the earth Let it be known You alone, my joy was found My joy, my joy Let my children tell their children Let this be their memory That all my treasure was in heaven And you were everything to me No care for me like Jesus. His faithful hand has held me all this way. And when I'm old and gray and all my days are numbered on the earth, let it be known. In you alone, my joy was found. I found my joy And when I'm old 
close your eyes and bow your heads in a moment of reflection. So when Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, that's what he meant. He didn't lose his life. He gave it freely for you. So that where you were lost, you could be found. Where you were blind, you could see. Where you were trapped in the darkness, you could experience light. And mostly, he died so you could live today, tomorrow, and forever. You don't achieve it. You don't earn it. You receive it. So I want to ask you right now, whether you're watching online or here in person, is today the day that you want to receive that free gift of salvation? Life, more and better life than you could ever dream. Today, tomorrow, and forever. If that's you, I would ask you with heads bowed and eyes closed, If you'd be willing, just raise your hand nice and high so I can pray for you. Amazing. That's awesome. If you're watching online right now and it's safe to do so, I'd love for you to do the same. There's something powerful about an outward expression of that inward commitment. If your hand is up, you can put it down. I'm going to pray out loud. And I just invite you, if you raised your hand, just to pray quietly along with me. So Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you are the good shepherd. Thank you that you died so I could live. I invite you today to be my savior. Bring me past my past. Heal my hurts, forgive my sins. And Jesus, I thank you that you didn't just lay down your life, you took it up again, you rose. So today I want to ask you to be my Lord, that you would give me a life, life, the truest version of me today, tomorrow, and forever as I follow you one next step at a time. And Jesus, for all of us, for those who have been going to church for years and years and years and years, we come to you today, Jesus, and we say thank you. Thank you. May we live our lives in an environment of absolute gratitude and absolute faith, knowing that you're not done with us yet either. Give us the strength too. Give us the faith too. Give us the hope too, to follow you one next step at a time. We love you, we thank you in your name. Amen, let's celebrate. Hey, so thank you so much for coming today. Love you guys a lot. Next week, I'm going to tell you three more things that you have in common with the sheep. And we're going to talk about what in the world did Jesus mean when he said, I am the gate. I can't wait to see you. We'll see you then. Love you. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And to stay up to date with all things Southside, follow at Southside underscore church on Instagram. We love you guys. The best is yet to come.